This podcast contains adult themes and content that some listeners may find distressing. Listener discretion is advised. The two sets of friends immediately hit it off and just after midnight, Hannah, David and their friends decided to head out onto the strip. They walked past fruit stands and various bars before settling on the popular AC Beach Bar. David said he wanted some cigarettes, so headed back out on his own. He made his way towards the main strip of bars and bought some cigarettes. CCTV tracks him heading back towards his room, alone. But David never made it back to his hotel room, and neither did Hannah. This is Red Rum, a podcast focusing on the true victims of crime. Episode 7, Hannah and David. The beautiful Thailand island of Koh Tao is a popular tourist destination known for its clear seas and idyllic beachfront full of lively bars and eating spots. Koh Tao is also referred to as Turtle Island because of the island's west coast Seri Beach. Each year, over 30 million tourists visit the picturesque Thailand, situated in Southeast Asia. Over a million of these tourists are British. Hannah Witheridge, a 23-year-old University of Essex postgrad student, burst into the lounge at her family home in Great Yarmouth. She beamed as she told her mum, dad and sister that she had just booked plane tickets to Thailand to visit the paradise island of Koh Tao. Hannah's mum expressed her concern about how vulnerable Hannah might be on a foreign island so far away from home. But Hannah assured her mum that she and her three friends would be fine. She loved home life, but wanted to explore more of the world. Having grown up in Hemsby, a small village along the English seaside. She loved the beauty of the beach and longed for a warm, heavenly holiday alternative. She had grown up loving animals and wanted to experience the clear turquoise waters filled with incredible sea life, as well as the abundant jungles of the Thailand islands. During this time, David Miller, a 24-year-old student of civil and structural engineering, decided that before beginning the fourth year of his master's degree, he would head to Thailand on a holiday. David's solid work ethic was backed up by his excellent academic record, and this holiday was going to be a bit of a celebration of his hard work before collecting his degree results when he returned. One afternoon, whilst at his family home in Jersey, He and his friend Chris Ware trawled the internet and found a holiday deal for September, just before he would start back at university in October. His parents and brother wished him a safe journey. He kissed his girlfriend Jessie goodbye and jumped into the back of the car, waving frantically as they sped off towards the airport. Meanwhile, Hannah and her friends had really made the most of the beginning of their holiday. Whilst in Bangkok, they took part in a cookery course 
and Hannah was excited to put her new skills into practice for her family once she returned home. The group of friends also visited the jungle and stayed with the tribe. Hannah's mum was relieved when she told her family her next stop was the smaller island of Koh Tao. Hannah arrived on the so-called Turtle Island on the 12th of September and spent her first three days exploring the beaches and settling into her ocean view bungalow. It's here that she met David and Chris. The two sets of friends immediately hit it off and decided to head out together to explore the Sari beach bars and the full moon party that was happening that night. The group kept it casual and Hannah dressed in a pink top and white skirt, while David wore a blue and grey t-shirt and grey shorts. After an hour or so of drinking, just after midnight, Hannah and her three friends decided to head out onto the strip. They walked past fruit stands and various bars before settling on the popular AC Beach Bar, which sits just along Sari Beach. It hosts parties and evenings, popular with tourists looking for local food caught in the nearby sea and popular local cocktails. Just before 1am, David and Chris decided to head back to their bungalow room. But when they arrived, David said he wanted some cigarettes, so headed back out on his own. He made his way towards the main strip of bars, bought some cigarettes, and CCTV tracks him heading back towards his room, alone. This was the last time David was seen alive. The next morning, a Burmese beach worker was clearing up an area of the beach just metres away from the Ocean View bungalows when she came across what looked like the body of someone in the sand. She ran to her boss's house and hurriedly woke him up. Her boss, Montriwat Tuwichin, ran down to the beach and discovered the partially naked body of David. He had been beaten over the head before falling unconscious and drowning in the sea. Police weren't sure if he would have survived the vicious beating were he to have fallen unconscious on the sand rather than in the sea. Forensic officers concluded that David had defensive wounds on his hand. Just down the beach from David's body, Montriwat Tuichin saw another partially naked body face down and covered in blood. It was Hannah. She had suffered from severe head injuries and had been raped. A wooden garden hoe covered in blood was found just 35 metres from the body and the police concluded that this was at least one of the murder weapons. Police checked CCTV footage from 106 cameras from the local bars and restaurants that surrounded the areas around the crime scene. They detected Hannah's last moments on CCTV where she and friends were walking to AC Bar. They realised that it was possible if she'd walked along the beachfront, she wouldn't have been picked up by any other CCTV cameras. David's last moments captured on CCTV were found to be when he left the cigarette shop. 
Although they weren't sure how he made it to the beach, it was concluded that similarly to Hannah, he must have gone onto the beachfront and out of the view of CCTV at some point. Investigators questioned partygoers and some of David and Hannah's friends. Whilst investigating the Ocean View bungalow, the manager told police that he had seen David's best friend Chris wearing pants stained with blood. Police immediately detained Chris for questioning and inside the room he shared with David found a pair of pants belonging to Chris that were bloody. They took his DNA and compared it to both the semen found on Hannah's body and the strand of hair found in Hannah's hand as it looked to have significant resemblance to Chris's hair. Chris insisted he had been in his room since 1am, an hour before the murders, and it was soon found that Chris's DNA didn't match the DNA found at the scene, and he was cleared. The detectives identified a huge number of leads and shared them all with the public. It was believed that because Hannah and David were found so close to the full moon party location, the attackers may have targeted the young tourists as they left. The full moon parties are famous for being attended by large groups of international travellers, and it's possible there was a planned attack, possibly for monetary gain or sexual satisfaction. The leads didn't stop here and it seemed as though the authorities suspected anyone they could place blame on. They were looking for three men who shopped at the corner shop close to the beachfront. They had purchased an item that was later found near to the bodies. They also wanted to speak to a man filmed running frantically away from the beach following the murders. A Thai and foreign worker were also questioned by the police. They needed to speak to a 22-year-old male whose father was a prominent businessman. This particular man also left Kotao immediately following Hannah and David's deaths. They did eventually locate this man, but the deputy national police chief said that although the man was being questioned, he hadn't been arrested or charged and he was soon released. Just a few metres up the beach, the police found some cigarette butts, one with red lipstick on it, and the other contained a mixture of two people's DNA. A DNA test of the semen found on Hannah's body revealed that it belonged to two different men. DNA samples were taken from a speedboat driver who shuttled passengers to and from the surrounding islands, as well as 30 fishermen on Kotao. But none of them were a match. Of the 300 people who had their DNA taken, 10 were known to have attended the AC beach bar on the night of Hannah and David's deaths. But again, there were no DNA matches. The police soon released this statement to the public. Quote, We have discovered fresh evidence that could lead to a new suspect who may have had a relationship or a one-night stand with Hannah or one of her friends or David the night before they were killed. 
We have asked the Metropolitan Police to go back and make inquiries of Hannah's friends on this matter. No lines of inquiry can be ruled out and we believe these crimes could have been motivated by sexual jealousy, unquote. Another line of inquiry suggested that Hannah turned down the advances of a Thai man while she and David were in a bar a little after 1am, but this quickly went cold when police couldn't confirm it. A major lead was investigated when it was revealed that the DNA found at the scene and from the semen suggested that the killers were Asian, but at this point, Authorities were worried that there was every possibility they had both fled from Kotal. The investigation seemed to be slowing down by the end of the week, and the police offered a £4,000 reward for information which led to the apprehension of the killers. At one point during the investigation, the police announced a plan to DNA test every male on the island to try and find a match. However, less than a week after the murders, two Burmese migrant workers, Wei Pio and Zor Lin, were arrested. Originally, their arrests were classed as being on immigration reasons, and the men were treated as witnesses while they were questioned. However, after the police confirmed that they had a DNA match with both suspects, and that they'd found Hannah's and David's phones in the men's bedrooms. They were both arrested on suspicion of murder. Wei P.O. said that he'd found an iPhone on the beach, but insisted that he'd only found one phone and didn't know where the other one came from. The officers presented the two men with CCTV footage of them near the beach and they admitted that they had been there earlier in the evening. Police eventually gained a full confession from the men. They concluded that Zor Lin saw Hannah and David having sex on the beach, which made him feel, quote, horny, unquote. So he convinced his friend Wei Pio to murder them both so that they could rape Hannah. It was said that after the murders, one of the men had changed out of his blue shorts which he left at the scene and into David's better quality shorts. And this is where I kind of thought the case had ended, at least from a solved or unsolved point of view. However, throughout my research, I came across a fair amount of controversy surrounding the investigation into Wei Pio and Zor Lin. It's important to say that the official verdict remains that Wei Pio and Zor Lin murdered Hannah and David that evening. And of course, that may well be the case. However, I wanted to mention some of the issues surrounding the case. On the morning of the murder, Sergeant Ched Gua arrives to assess the scene and immediately calls in the help of other officers on the island. However, owing to the size of the island's population, along with the usually peaceful nature of the island, as reported by officials, there are only six officers available. The officers then don't secure the scene. There are people wandering around, contaminating important evidence. 
there's a lot of people taking photos and posting them all over the internet. At the time of the incident, there were pictures of Hannah and David's battered and bloody bodies all over social media. The police also don't take full statements from Hannah and David's friends. They fail to lock down the island and spend a significant amount of time at a crucial point of the investigation chasing the wrong leads. The forensic team was also reported to have arrived over 20 hours after the murders. At various points of the investigation, we see the same non-uniformed man pop up throughout, in a restricted area, with the police, and even the questioning of a witness. But this man is not a police officer or detective. He is Montre Watt Witchin, the beach cleaner's boss who reported the bodies to police. We see from various tourist and locals' camera footage that Montrewat appears throughout the first few hours of the investigation. In a bizarre series of events, Montrewat begins to include himself in the investigation, but not as a witness or a suspect, rather as an investigator himself. He notices a British man called Sean McKenna who has blood on his shorts. He, along with two police officers, questions Sean, who cooperates with police and informs them that the blood was from a cut on himself that happened much before the murders. Sean said that Montre Watt then chased him into the supermarket before saying, quote, We know it was you. You've got two people's deaths on your hands. You're going to die tonight. Unquote. Montre Watt denies this and says he just asked where the blood came from and that's when Sean ran away. Sean believed that the murder threat was real, so quickly went into hiding, managing to get onto a boat and escape from the island. It is well known on the island that Montre Watt's family own a lot of businesses on Sari Beach, and many of the residents believe that they have a lot of control over the people on the island, as well as who comes, who goes, the mafia, and the police. It is of course completely possible that Montre Watt's actions came from an innocent place, but there's no doubt that that conflicted with strict and necessary investigation procedures that weren't adhered to on this investigation. A major piece of evidence against the two men was established when police found Hannah and David's phones in Waypio and Zorlin's possession. Police said they found Hannah's phone in Zorlin's room. However, it was later revealed that Hannah's friends handed her phone over to the investigation for evidence purposes. There is a photograph of her phone on the table between police and Hannah's friends following the murders. The police later admitted to the mistake and apologised. Early on in the investigation, Police turn their focus to the Burmese migrant community, which actually outnumbers the Thai community on Koh Tao. The Burmese migrants keep the island running, but often come to Koh Tao illegally. Human rights lawyer Andy Hall said, quote, 
Burmese people are disrespected by Thais. There is a high risk of exploitation from employers and corrupt officials, unquote. The systematic abuse of migrants in the area is well known. A Burmese worker called Tan Helene said, quote, They beat all of us while interrogating us. Three of us were seriously injured, but some got minor injuries. They detained us for one night. They collected our records and took pictures of us. They finally told us that we were not guilty and released us. Unquote. With regards to Wei Pio and Zorlin's confession, there's a video online of the reconstruction acted out by Wei Pio and Zorlin themselves. It looks messy and disorganised. There are lots of people talking to the suspects and there's a huge number of onlookers. These include a number of police officers filming on their phones. The footage is questionable. The police translator is shown to be stroking the suspect on the head in front of the 30 plus people in the room. He's telling the suspect to relax and asks him how many times was she hit, to which he crosses his arms and hurriedly says four times. Wei Pio and Zorlin's lawyer, Andy Hall, said that the men reported they were being targeted and tortured. He confirmed with photos and documents that the men were sexually assaulted, beaten and threatened. He also says that Wei Pio and Zorlin were told that if they confessed, they'd only be sentenced to two years in prison and that they have since consistently denied the murders, revealing that their original confessions were obtained under duress. They said, quote, We'll burn you, chop you up, put you in a bag and throw it away, unquote. Andy Hall said the men were arrested because of circumstantial evidence based on CCTV footage that actually put them at a supermarket near the beach. Wei Pio and Zor Lin admitted being at the beach earlier in the evening, but there's no CCTV of the beach itself, so it's impossible to confirm the time that the men were on the beach. Prosecutors said that DNA evidence collected from cigarette butts, a condom and the bodies of the victims linked Wei Pio and Zor Lin to the deaths. But Andy said that no one knows if their DNA actually matched. And through my research, I actually failed to find confirmation of this. Andy also argued that the DNA found on the bloody garden hoe didn't match Wei Pio or Zor Lin. It's known that the collection, transporting, testing, analysis, reporting and storage of forensics and DNA evidence used in the case didn't comply with international standards. And one of Thailand's top forensic scientists said that any DNA evidence collected was seriously flawed. There is also a problem with the motive of Zorlin committing the rape and murders because he was, quote, horny. This views rape as an act of sexual passion, not an act of premeditated violence, which it's known is actually the most likely case in rape. 
the majority of rapists are motivated by power, anger and control, not sexual gratification. There's a lot of media attention on police brutality and corruption at the moment, and I think it's an area of discussion that makes people feel uncomfortable, which of course makes it even more of an essential conversation to have. Police in Koh Tao have been accused a number of times of misconduct, including in the weeks following the murders of bribing a taxi driver and torturing a Thai man for not providing false testimony. The circumstances surrounding the deaths of Hannah and David are unusual and have cast even more of a light on Koh Tao, which has in previous years been referred to as Death Island. Family and friends of tourists who have disappeared or died in mysterious circumstances have called on outside authorities to look further into who police report to. It's been suggested that Koh Tao is actually run by a number of mafia families and that the residents do know what's going on but don't act on or disclose this information out of loyalty and fear. Tourists Nick Pearson, Luke Miller, Elise Dallamain, Hans-Peter Suter and Dmitry Povs are just some of the people found dead on the island, while a number of people have mysteriously disappeared. British tourist Christina Ansley had been taking photos of the beach and asking locals questions about the mysterious deaths and disappearances. She was told she shouldn't ask those kinds of questions and that it was dangerous. She was found dead the next day. Christina's reported cause of death was originally reported as a combination of medication and alcohol. But as her body had been left in a temple for a number of days before an autopsy was performed, the UK coroner couldn't accept the results. There was also a significant lack of evidence to back up the legitimacy of this investigation. Christina's parents attempted to understand the investigation findings but after being charged a large sum for Christina's blood samples, the UK coroner found the blood samples to yield inconclusive results. The family were told that CCTV showed a Swedish man accompanying Christina to her bungalow and leaving the morning of her death. But when they asked to see the CCTV footage, they said they'd have to pay and then that they'd lost the footage. None of this could be confirmed. Christina's bungalow room was owned by the same Montre Watt to Witchin, who found Hannah and David's bodies just a year prior. On the 30th of August 2012, 32-year-old Ben Harrington died after he was riding a motorbike in the middle of the night and reportedly crashed into an electricity pylon. However, his wallet and watch were missing, and when his mum, Pam, asked for more information from the Thai authorities, she was denied it. She spoke of hearing that, quote, they use tripwires to get you off your bike and trip you up so they can mug you. We think possibly this is what could have happened to Ben, 
unquote. In 2015, the body of 29-year-old tourist Dmitry Povs was found hanging outside his bungalow. Police said that there were no signs of a struggle and a suicide note was left in his room. However, they failed to explain why or how his hands were tied behind his back. The body of Elise Delamain was found hanging in a dense jungle area of the island in April 2017. She had been partially burnt and eaten by animals. The cause of death was declared a suicide, something her mother refused. We know that police corruption and brutality happens. It's been proven time and time again. But in response to the alleged torture and framing of Wei Pio and Zor Lin, a spokesperson for the Royal Thai Police said, quote, We followed the legal procedure as to how we treated the offenders. There will always be minor doubts and points. But would these points have enough weight to change the evidence, witnesses, or the entire case? They have all their rights guaranteed by Thai law. If there was any brutality or torture as claimed, they have the right to bring legal action against the Thai authorities. In five years, they haven't done this." The Supreme Court dismissed claims of physical mistreatment and mishandling of forensic evidence saying the forensic work was done by respectable institutions and there was no proof of torture. The police also began threatening individuals who challenged the police's actions and conclusions under a charge of, quote, insulting officials. However, after the trial, David's dad, Ian Miller, said that in his view, justice had been done and that the evidence against the men was overwhelming. He said, quote, Like many people, we were initially unsure what to think when Wei Pio and Zor Lin were detained as suspects. We saw images of two innocent-looking men surrounded by tough policemen. It was easy to conclude they might have been convenient scapegoats. We believe that after a difficult start, the Royal Thai Police conducted a methodical and thorough investigation. They raped to satisfy their selfish desires and murdered to cover up that fact. They have shown no remorse during the trial. We believe the correct verdict has been reached." However, after the men were convicted and sentenced to death, David's father said he hoped the death penalty would be withdrawn in exchange for prison sentences. The family then submitted a petition asking the king to commute the death sentences to life in prison. From the year 2009 to 2018, all death sentences in Thailand have been commuted by royal pardon. However, that did change in 2018 when a 26-year-old man guilty of robbery resulting in death was executed by lethal injection. David's funeral was held at Holy Trinity Church and attended by his closest friends and family. His family said, quote, 
24 years of memories and his beaming smile will always be cherished. David was intelligent, hardworking. He was caring, inclusive, enthusiastic and fun. He was irreplaceable to us. He was our David, taken from us before his time and before he could blossom to his full potential. He was very special. Our hearts will always be filled with the brightness he brought. We are so proud of him. We and his friends will miss him terribly." Unquote. His mum and girlfriend, Jessie, went to collect his degree results on his behalf and discovered he had earned a first-class degree in civil and structural engineering. Hannah's mum said that Monday the 15th of September 2014 was a date that changed her life forever. Quote, Hannah was a beautiful, fun-loving woman who filled a room with love and happiness just by being there. She was intelligent, giving and supportive and always tried her best at everything she did. There simply wasn't a bad bone in her body. She would see the best in everyone she met. Hannah achieved so much and had so much more ahead of her. I will never know why this happened and it will never make any sense. The pain of her not being here gets stronger each day and I have to watch her brother and sister hurting, knowing I can offer no answers. Her family is broken and will never be the same again. Red Rum is written and presented by Grace Cordell. It's produced by Russ Clark and Grace Cordell. Sound design by Russ Clark with additional music by Benjamin James.